0: Oh Vasudeva Sutam Devam Kamsachanu Ramardanam Devaki Paramanandam Krishna Bande Jagadguru. So we are studying the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Um Towards the end the discussion is Arjuna has asked a question About the enlightened person what is it like to be enlightened And that's where the discussion is One of the reasons why this this section is important is That what is discussed here These are also the practices which we can do And we are supposed to do The word enlightened is not used the word used is Titta Pragya in Sanskrit, which means stabilized wisdom. It's a very precise use of the term. As we study Vedanta, we begin to get it. We begin to understand what it what they are saying. It's not very difficult really. You stay with it for some time, you get it. But then the next question comes that it's it fluctuates. Um, it seems to come and go. And it doesn't seem to be of it's difficult to make it practical in day-to-day life so this these two issues that it seems to come and go and it's difficult to make it practical in day-to-day life uh, is uh, um, an issue so how to stabilize this the practices are discussed here now w- one of the things one, one has to do is that one has to stay with this teaching shravana manana nididhyasana shravana means to study vedanta systematically over a long period of time literally it means to hear manana means to reflect upon it after studying and reflecting one gets a kind of clarity one gets a kind of conviction also but it's, yet it might not feel like a living truth. So to make it a living truth, one has to stay with this knowledge. In meditation when you are sitting with your eyes closed, but with your eyes open when you are interacting with the world, still have to stay with this knowledge. What is this knowledge? I am Brahman. That, that absolute existence, consciousness, place. All this is also that same Brahman. And so one interacts from that point of view. Um, To stay with this knowledge is called Nididhyasana Vedantic meditation Vedantic meditation Vedantic meditation When you try to stay with the knowledge you will find a difficulty. And the difficulty comes from two sources. One is the sensory system, our senses, five senses. Seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. And more subtle, more inward to the sensory system is the mind. So the fluctuations, the wanderings of the mind and the pull the pull of the senses. These two are powerful distractors from stabilizing wisdom. That's why now... Sri Krishna is giving a great emphasis on control of the senses. Indriya nigraha. In order to stabilize Vedantic wisdom, control of the senses is very important. And control of the mind. So this is the discussion. This is what is going on now. We had done verse number 58 last time. Where he had emphasized the importance of control of the senses. Do you remember that nice example he gave of the tortoise? Which when threatened, pulls in its head and the four limbs into the shell similarly we must have the capacity to detach ourselves from, the, uh, from engagement with the senses, with the sense objects By the way when I am saying senses and sense objects it simply means the, um, our sensory system and their respective objects forms for the eyes sound for the ears and smell for the nose and so on taste for the, for the tongue and so on Now 59 Please repeat after me. Vishaya vinevertante. Vishaya vinevertante. Niraha rasya dehina. Niraha rasya dehina. Rasa vadjam rasopyasya. Rasa rasopyasya. Param drishtwa nivartate. Param drishtwa nivartate. So 59th verse means The sense objects fall away from somebody who's controlling the senses We'll see what it means But the taste for those objects remains in the subconscious mind Even the taste goes away Even that the deep conditioning is also removed when one realizes the ultimate truth Param drishtva, realizes the ultimate reality So what does this mean? Control of the senses. Krishna is saying that the persons who can control the senses um, who are not engaged continue or, or, or obsessed with sense pleasures for such a person that Vedantic wisdom becomes stabilized. But one may ask a question. Even a sick person, for example, you're very sick. You've got a fever or a cold or, or you don't feel too good. And you don't really want to go out to um, partying or you don't want... You just want to stay stay in bed, you know. You don't even want to come to Vedanta class, so so a sick person also may not be interested in sense pleasures, but does that mean a sick person's Vedantic wisdom is stabilized? No. So what is this stabilization of wisdom? And there he talks about it that the sense objects fall away from a person, vishaya vinivartante. What do you mean, sense away? Objects fall away? That the person does no no longer interacts with the sense object, does not indulge in sense, object, enjoyment who a person who is disciplined who is controlling the senses so you are dieting so obviously you are not gorging yourself on on, on all sorts of uh, uh, delicacies but he says the desire for that the desire for those objects still remains deep in the mind so there is always a pull I am dieting, so I don't want, I don't, I'm I not going to eat that and inside the mind that's very nice, I wish I could eat it, so there's a pull. I want it and I don't want it. You really don't want it because you are dieting. And you really want it because it, you know it's going to be, it's going to be very nice if you, if you can eat that, so there's a pull. That pull, that will continue for the time being. That This is what Sri Krishna says, in the beginning it will be there, even when you have attended lots of Vedanta classes and you've got lots of notes and you have memorized lots of verses, even you're beginning to get Vedanta, still that pull will be there. Mm. Until one realizes that ultimate reality, that all this is nothing other than Brahman and my inner reality is Brahman. R- rasa means Raga, abhilasha the, the inner desire, the pull towards sense pleasures. I like to see that, I like to hear that, I like to taste that. Especially the tongue, and tasting, touching. Um, param d- I <laughs> ahara here does not just mean eating. Ahara in, uh, the word ahara in Sanskrit usually is used in the sense of eating, food. But ahara literally means ariyante. It means whatever is pulled in. So whatever is pulled in is not just food into the mouth. But also forms what we see through the eyes. Sound through the ears. uh, Taste of course. Smell and touch. So all the five sense objects are, are ahara. Are like food to the five sense organs. And a person who controls that. Regulates that. For that person, you know, it might not be uh, overtly enjoying or, uh, or involved in, in sense pleasures, but still, the trace is left behind. I've told you this earlier, I had an interesting experience many, many years ago, about 22 years ago, when I was very sick in the hospital, and uh, uh, I hadn't eaten for two weeks. I was on, on the IV the intravenous drip. So I was sick. Now, I hadn't eaten, and if you, if you gave me food, I would, I would throw, up, throw up. I mean, I couldn't bear the sight of food. Um, and yet, at night, I would dream of food. And it was very interesting. The th- uh, food which I had, the dishes which I had eaten, which, which, which were my favorites when I was a kid. I, I, totally for- I thought I had forgotten about them. I, I hadn't thought about them for ages. And those floated up. See what a deep impression. Raso varjam, the traces are left behind. We may not be aware of it, but it is left behind. We may not think we have those desires. I don't have those desires. You don't know it, it's there. And when, see, the body is deprived, I'm not eating, and I don't want to eat. The body doesn't require that food because the body can't take that food. If you literally bought those dishes, here you are dreaming about it. Eat it. Couldn't. I just throw up. Notice the, the place for enjoyment is not really the body. It's the mind which wants those things. It's the mind which has been conditioned to enjoy those things. It's the, the sense organs supply those tastes to the mind. The taste has really nothing to do with nutrition. The body needs nutrition. A taste is an indicator. Which is uh, good for you, which is bad for you. Sometimes taste is a good indicator, sometimes a bad indicator. But taste is basically for the mind, not for the, not really for the body. The body derives its nutrition from from the food, and that's it. But the mind derives enjoyment from from the sense inputs. So that was very very educational to me, that how the traces are left behind. But even the traces go away when one realizes that it is Brahman. How does it, how do the traces go away? It's like this. I remember I saw one three D movie. One that was the first time it came to India many many years ago. We were little kids and you had to go into the film theater and wear glasses so you could see things in three dimensions. And I remember there were uh, they, it was a, something to do with the, a, a mythological story. Somebody shooting arrows. And the kids had, we had great fun, like you know we dodged the arrows because it's all coming out of the screen towards us. And then somebody had a plate, I still remember that, a plate full of, full of Indian sweets, laddus. And it floated just in front of your, holding it on the screen but it's floating in front of your nose like that. Right here. And the kids had great fun swiping at it, you know in the cinema hall you could see kids trying to grab it. And they are laughing. But none of them took it seriously. They didn't feel deprived that I can't get hold of the sweets and they didn't burst into tears. No. Because they knew it's not there. They knew it's not there. When it's not there, it's easy to give up. It just looks like that. As a sadhu told me once in Himalayas, hai, kuch It just looks like that Swami. But it is not. What, what looks like that? He meant this entire world. There is... You say? But of course, in the world, there is taste and sound. Yes, there is taste and sound and smell. But there is nothing here which will satisfy you. There is nothing here that will complete you. There is nothing here which will give you lasting peace. The more you enjoy the sense inputs, the more the thirst increases. The more the desperation increases. I had also seen. So I'm think, remembering lots of movies now. <laughs> <laughs> In those days, this VCR had come, you know, tapes. So I had seen a Hollywood movie, I don't, I forget the name of the movie, but it was about a ghost. And this ghost used to, in those days, smoking cigarettes was normal. I mean, people used to smoke uh, openly. So this g- guy, before dying, he used to smoke a lot of cigarettes. And he died. And then, um, it, I still remember that one scene, he's become a ghost. Of course, it's a Hollywood movie, so you can see him faintly in, in on the movie, like a like a glowing figure. Now, he's standing on a railway station or somewhere like that, a platform, and in those days it seems that, I haven't seen it in, here in America now, they used to dispense cigarettes from these, like now you can get from, you can get uh, potato chips and coke and all of that from a dispenser, yes. you put in money and you can get a cigarette. So, this ghost is standing and trying to put his hand into the machine to bring out the cigarette packet. packets. But of course, alas, he can go pass through walls, but he can't catch anything. So he can't really catch the cigarette packet and nor can he, can he smoke it. And I felt this is why we are reborn. This tremendous obsessions we have with enjoying material things. Once this body falls apart and we can no longer enjoy these material things, we want it so much. That's why by God's grace I would say We are given more a new physical body To start the game all over again Anyway that was just a thought So raso vajjam The taste for that remains And it's a terrible thing I, I I remember feeling at that time Or later when I reflected upon it It's a terrible thing to have a strong Obsessive desire and no way of fulfilling it So that's why I guess We are reborn again and again So that we have a way of Experiencing, uh, Fulfilling those desires But fulfilling is a wrong word Just experience it Again and again And there is no fulfillment And then we move on So param The traces are left behind But even the traces are burnt up When you realize The ultimate truth That Brahman alone is real And I am Brahman The world is an appearance Like a movie you, I will not repeat it, but you remember I've told you the story of the princess of Kashi. So the moment the prince realized that the princess in the picture was none other than than he himself, when he was a kid, he had been painted in that way. So um, he realized there is no princess of Kashi apart from him. So what he desired is a, is a delusion, is an illusion. That, is, that that person is not there, does not exist apart from him. Always was him. So the desire goes away. Like that, realizing the ultimate, all these desires, even the trace of it goes away. Then, number 60. Yatoto hya pikaunteya Yatoto hya Purushasya vipaschita Vipaschita Indriyani Pramathini Indriyani Pramathini Haranti Prasabhambana Haranti Prasabhambana O Arjuna These powerful senses The senses mean the sense organs Forcibly lead astray The mind of even the struggling white, wise person The wise person who is a spiritual seeker and practicing spiritual disciplines you know meditating, praying and controlling the senses still swept away by the powerful senses Now one might think, oh, if the wise person is swept away by these uh, senses then what's the point? Uh-huh. So in the introduction to this verse the commentator in this particular book Sridhar Swami says Indriya sanyamanam vina tu nasambhavati Without control of the senses Stabilization of Vedantic wisdom is not possible Therefore Ataha Therefore Sadhaka vasthayam tatra mahan prayatna Therefore when you are a seeker Sadhaka means a spiritual practitioner At that stage A great effort is to be put in To control the senses So it's not meant to be negative Not meant to be pessimistic. You can try, but you're going to fail. No, not in that sense. It's just a cautionary thing that it's very powerful. So one must be careful. One must be ready to fail and try again. And keep trying. And it's necessary to keep trying. To bring the senses under our control. Uh, There is a, a nice saying which says that Alas, I have been made the servant by the servants of my servants <laughs> Alas, kinkara means a servant uh, So by the servant of my servants My servant is the mind And the mind's servants are the <laughs> senses But I, the Atman, the Self I have become a servant to my senses my eyes want to see this and I run around trying to get it. My uh, tongue wants to taste it. I run to the uh, restaurant to eat it and, and so on. Sight, sense, sound, uh, touch, uh, all of these things. I st- keep running around to procure these things from the world for, for my senses. I think that, uh, you know, yeah, I... It's my senses and my mind. I can control it. Yeah. Let my mind think about these things. But uh, what my mind? What's there in my mind? I can control it. We think so, but it's not at that easy. And we shall see in the next verse itself. But I'll tell you a little story. Um, Swami Nishreya Shanandaji was the uh, founder of our movement in South Africa. Many many years ago, he was a disciple of Swami Shivananda. That means a disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, his disciple. So he was, a, from all accounts. I never seen him, but from all accounts, he was an extraordinary teacher, extraordinary master, and a yogi himself. So he talks about this idea that it's my mind, and I can control my mind. What's so great about it? He says, imagine you have. Um, An apartment in some city and your friend says to you that can I I'm going to that city can I stay in your apartment for a couple of days and you say sure it's my apartment I'm going to give you a note for the caretaker and he'll just give you the keys you can can go in there and stay there so your friend turns up at your apartment in that city and rings the bell and um, a couple of hefty guys come out suspicious looking characters And say yeah what do you want and um, you say that your friend says I'm going to stay here says who Phil my friend owns this apartment look here it says that it is uh, let him stay here for a few days and these two guys they pick up your friend and toss him out on the street now Can you say that it's still your apartment? Notionally, nominally it's your apartment but it's no longer under your control. There are squatters there, there are people who have taken it over. It's no longer your apartment. Our mind is like that. We have entertained sights and sounds and smells and touches uh, for so long and thought patterns and habitual ways of thinking um, prejudices so long that now when I think Alright, I'm going to think I am the Atman, that's your friend. Let this thought stay in the mind, I am the Atman. And all these hefty guys, sights and sounds and smells, they pick up this poor I am the Atman thought and throw it out on the street. <laughs> <laughs> My guru has told me to repeat the mantra. Here is the poor little mantra, look. And it goes to the mind, can I stay in the mind for some time? And these other thoughts who have been staying there for years and years together, they are big and nourished. They have been, they are strong. And they pick up the poor little mantra and throw it out on the street. So it's no longer under your control. That's why this uh, is control of the senses. Another a subtle question. Sometimes these questions don't occur to us until we start practicing. A subtle question is this. What is more important? Control of the senses or control of the thought? I'm, I might argue, yes, let me enjoy things of the world. Mentally, I am unaffected. If that's... so, Isn't that alright? If only you could do that. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. It is true. The mind is more important than the senses. If one could remain mentally com- completely unaffected while gliding through the world, if you could do that. And yogis, there are yogis who can do that. But not at the beginning. At the beginning, the trick is always to start with the with the physical, with the gross, with the obvious and then work your way inwards to the subtle ones Another question is this Right now here the, the commentator said Indriya Sanyamam tu Sthita na Sambhavati Without control of the senses stabilization of Vedantic knowledge is not possible Ramano Jacharya, who was the great teacher of Vishishtadvaita and teacher of Bhakti, he takes up this point and he says, Notice what these two verses, if you put them together, you come up with an interesting conundrum. It says, Until you realize the ultimate, the traces, the desires will remain in your mind. The traces will remain. You can control it, but the traces will remain in the mind. And now you are saying, without control of the senses, you cannot realize the ultimate without realizing the ultimate desires will remain and senses will be turbulent, without controlling the senses you cannot realize the ultimate, isn't it a vicious circle, how do you get out of it and there Ramanuja introduces bhakti he introduces devotion, love, love is very attractive so when my beloved Krishna or Rama or Christ or whatever These figures who are, who are universally attractive That is put before you The beautiful stories of Krishna The beautiful modes of worship Flowers and light and music And yes, delicious food All offered to, to the Lord and taken as prasad So all of that When, when you use those to attract the mind Bhakti makes it easy. The senses attract the mind. Bhakti attracts the mind. You see why, a great teacher once told me, told us, that why bhakti is important for people who are on the path of jnana. On the path of knowledge, Vedantic knowledge, self-realization. Why bhakti is important. Because otherwise, often what happens is that... Knowledge when we study this it removes ignorance the very nature of knowledge is to remove ignorance But if the mind is not sufficiently purified what will happen is it will be a kind of intellectual removal of ignorance I did not know now I know But what I want still remains the same because of past conditioning What I want does not come from the intellect it comes from past conditioning it comes from the senses what my sense is like. It's not an intellectual decision that I like a cookie. <laughs> it's a sensual decision. So, at the level of senses. In the, word, the terms used in um, in Hindi are very nice. It says, um, desire. karma, Desire is at the level of prana. That means it's not something in the intellect. What am I? What is the nature of this world? What am I? That. The intellect knows or does not know. But what I want, it's not really, it doesn't have much to do with the intellect. So it could be possible, not only could be possible, it often is the case that we understand a lot of things through Vedanta. But the heart still wants what it was conditioned to want. Now, this Vedantic teaching does not work at the level of the heart. It works at the level of the intellect. That's why so many stringent conditions are there for a purified mind. Purified mind means a purified heart. But bhakti works at the level of, inter, of, of the heart. Bhakti is, is nothing other than transformed desire. The, the nature of desire is, I want the world. The nature of bhakti is, I want God. Notice that the I want is still the same. I want Not a question of what I know And what I do not know I want The world That's replaced with God So bhakti is very useful In the path of jnana When your mind Your heart is given to God in, In any particular form Whichever is your tradition Could be Krishna or Christ Whichever is your tradition Whichever is your approach So devotional approach Is very useful for a jnani Because it purifies the heart And allows knowledge To have full play then you can actually live the knowledge and the knowledge will become stabilized. Sthita prajna. Alright. Yatato hiya pikanteya. Oh, Arjuna, even if trying. So, this person is actually trying. It's not just theoretical. The person is meditating, the person is doing all sorts of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, Vedantic study and trying to control the senses. Vipaschita, Vipaschita means a wise person um, Wise person here is Siddh vivekinoapi Api, a person who has Viveka Brahman is real, who who has, feels that The world is evanescent, temporary, transient, passing I should try to realize God in this very life, who feels that Even such a person is swept away By the powerful senses Vivekina. attended lots of Vedanta classes Still uh, When Anger comes, greed comes, can't control. Why? Because of the senses. Mana indriyani, so mind and the senses both, they, they sweep this person away. But the point is, mahan yatna katavya. One should make a big effort. One should make a serious, dedicated effort over a long period of time, time to get mastery over the sensory system. If you do not Okay, uh, 61 and then we will see what happens if we do not 61 he sums up this whole approach of controlling the senses 61 (laughs) Tani sarva sang yamyā Tani sarva sang yamyā Yukta āsita matpara Yukta āsita matpara Vašehi yasyendriyāni Vašehi Yasya Indriyani Tasya Pragyapratish Tita Tasya Pragya Pratish So the one who can who controls all the senses and constant after controlling the senses what? Why are you controlling the senses? Why simple uh, living for what? For high thinking. For yukta matpara. Concentrated upon me as the ultimate reali- uh, reality. Me means God here. Concentrated upon God. If you are a devotee, you are meditating upon your Devata. If you are a jnani, you are trying to realize the real self. Not the body, not the mind. You know, chidananda rupa ha Of the nature of consciousness and bliss beyond body-mind. You are trying to realize that. That is, the, that is what a mystic, uh, a person seeking realization tries to do. And... Vašehi yasya indriyani tasya prajna pratiṣṭhita. The realization, your wisdom will become stable when your sensory system is under control. So persons whose sensory system is under control, for that person, tasya prajna pratiṣṭhita. He makes a clear equation of the two. Throughout the Bhagavad Gita, again and again. So what are the conditions for enlightenment? How many classes and courses do I have to attain? How many books do I have to buy How many of them do I have to read? (laughs) So, he doesn't say any of that. He says, Vasehi Yasyandriyani. One who is a master of his or her sensory system. So, so much importance is given to the sensory system. And the mind, of course. Notice one thing. Sarvani. Tani Sarvani. The sensory system in its entirety. Not just one or two. Sri Ramakrishna gave the example of a farmer you have to re- imagine in rural Bengal the rice fields so the crop has to be under water for some time part of it so the farmer worked hard to bring, make a channel and bring water from the canal into his field and worked hard, hours and hours but afterwards when he came back to the field he found all the water had drained away why? on, on the border of the field there was a hole So through the hole all the water drained away. Which he had worked so hard to bring in there. So even one hole, that means one obsession. Can't I keep a little desire on the side? It will work like a creeper, it will come up and and cover your uh, entire psyche. So all the effort goes to waste. And the story of the three drunkards, three friends who were drunkards. Who got uh, on an after a night of revelry? They got in a boat and they wanted to row across the river to their hometown. And they rowed and rowed and rowed. And the next morning, they were still there, right on on the bank. Why? Because they'd forgotten to untie the anchor, <coughs> that the rope which tied it to the shore. they had forgotten that. That rope is this being tied to sensory um, obsessions. So it must be under your control. That doesn't mean that you will, you will not enjoy the occasional movie or, or, a, or the occasional cookie. But it should mean that even when you are doing it mindfully, consciously, it's not caught hold of you. You are still in charge. Suppose one does not do that. So here is f- the next two verses. Suppose one does not control that. And we are still trying to become enlightened, we are still doing meditation and prayer and study and all of that Then what happens? Two famous verses Let's read, we have to read them together 62 and 63 Dhyayato vishayan puṃsa Dhyayato vishayan puṃsa Sanghas jayate, shupajāyate Sanghas jayate. संगात संजायते कामा संगात संजायते कामा कामात क्रोधो भीजायते कामात क्रोधो भीजायते क्रोधात भवति सम्मोहा क्रोधात भवति सम्मोहा सम्मोहाच मिति Samoha smriti vibhrama smriti bhrangshad buddhi nasho smriti bhrangshad buddhi nasho buddhi nashat pranasyati buddhi pranasyati I'm thinking continuously about sense objects and attachment develops with the sense objects from that attachment comes desire, the desire being obstructed there flashes anger, from anger comes delusion From in delusion the memory of all our learning is lost, when that memory is lost, that learning is lost The intellect is delu- uh, intellect cannot function anymore, buddhināsha When the intellect cannot function anymore, Pranashyati, we fall away from spiritual life you will notice that there are eight links here One Thinking about sense objects. Two Dhyayate pungsa, sangha, Attachment comes to Second Attachment Sangha steshupajayate Sangha sanjayate kama. Desire arises then From attachment arises desire Third I must have it Then from When desire is obstructed kama krodho vijayate Anger comes Four. Where what uh, and anger leads to krodhat bhavati sammoha darkening a, a delusory effect on the mind delusion confusion comes sammoha that's five sammoha smriti vibhrama from um, delusion comes loss of memory memory here literally means the learning that we have got all the spiritual you know all our New Year's resolutions, all our um, I'm going to become enlightened this year, 2019 is the year And so on, all of that goes away, out of the window And then, number Seven Is Priti bhangshat buddhi Asha So Our intellect The decision making capacity, fails And we make the wrong decisions What to say, what to do And that leads to pranashyati. You fall away from (coughs) spiritual life. Eight, one of our swamis, one of my teachers, Swami Atma Priyanandaji, who was here uh, last year, I think, yes. So he jokingly said the, like the Buddha's eight eightfold way, you know, Ashtanga Marga, like the Ashtanga Yoga, the eightfold Yoga of Patanjali. These are the eight. This is the eightfold way to destruction. (laughs) The eight steps to spiritual fall Those are the eight steps to Nirvana or the eight steps to enlightenment It is eight steps to fall away (laughs) So what are these eight steps? Dhyayato vishayan pamsa It starts with what what the mind dwells upon Where the mind is kept What do you mean where the mind is kept? Is the mind like a box or a glass where you keep it somewhere? No. No What is kept in the mind? What am I thinking about in general? My habitual thought patterns. What am I dwelling upon? Dhyayato if, vishayan. If it's the sense objects. Things we see, hear, smell, taste, touch. And it's inevitable. You can either think of God or you can think of the world. One sadhu said. He was um, 104 years old. <laughs> he said. Paramatma ka ya samsar ka cinta. These are the only two alternatives. Let go of, of the thought of God. It need not be God in the theistic sense. You are a spiritual practitioner. You are, a, you are practicing mindfulness in the buddhistic sense. Whatever your spiritual practice is. Let go of that. The mind will go to samsara. There is no other alternative. Until enlightenment. What happens in enlightenment is when you realize that there is only one reality. Whatever you think about, it will be that reality. You know it, know that it is that. But until that point, there are two for us. There is something which we call God, our real self. And there is something and the rest, without that it's all God, uh, it's all samsara. So the mind will, if if the mind drops away, if it slips away from Ishwarachinta, the thought of God, it will have samsara chinta. One or the other. Similarly, not just thinking, love, where is your heart? It can either be given to God or Mammon. You cannot be a servant of both together. The New Testament, the Bible. You can't, you can't do both together. Why not? No, one will drive out the other. You remember the hefty fellows? They'll throw out the other. So they are inimical. They are, up, they, they are obverse and reverse of the thing. You can't, you, can't do, you can't take both at the same time. You have to take this side or that side. Um, so if we dwell too long, too much on material things One sadhu said, many years ago, It was a traditional wandering monk Said, um, in each human being there are three streams which flow continuously Three streams, what are the three streams? Gyanadhara, the stream of knowledge. Karmaadhara, the stream of action. What you do. Bhavadhara. This is difficult to translate into English. Bhava means our inner orientation. What we really, truly want inside. What we really want inside. Our orientation. Our intentions. Real intentions inside. Honestly, without telling anybody. Honestly, what do I like? Do I really like spiritual life or is it just, I think it's good for me? Do I really like working out in the gym? I think it's good for me, that's why I'm doing it. You know this famous uh, entrepreneur Elon Musk, he said something very interesting. This huge industry is there, you know, motivation, how to get motivated, it's a big thing in America. Or in the corporate world, across the world. And this person who is like an epitome of uh, corporate life, he said If you need to get motivated to do it. Don't do it. Now don't take him literally. We need to get motivated to do so many good things in life. And we should try to get motivated. But there is a a deep truth which he points out. If you need to get motivated. It is not. This is what they are calling bhava. It is not your bhava. Inner bhava. You really really don't like it so far. You really really don't want it. That's why I need to get motivated. I need to read these books. I need to take that seminar. I want to go to that workshop and buy all those self-help books from Barnes and Nobles. Not working. Why not? See why they don't work? All those books work on what is called Gyanadhara, the stream of knowledge. They will give you a lot of information. And quite a good, good bit of it is correct. It's not wrong at all. It doesn't touch the inner bhava. One guy said, I love playing video games He doesn't have to be motivated to play video games, no He has to be motivated not to play video games so Then the question arises, but that's the problem There are things which I know are good for me, but I don't want to do that There are things I know which are bad for me, but I can't stop myself from doing that So the motivation is there, but it's in the wrong place it's for things which are. I know they are damaging for me. I know they are no good for me, but I can't get. I, I, I. That is comes naturally. Bhava is there. That is the problem. The uh, lament of Duryodhana, when Krishna goes to Duryodhana, somebody said, Why didn't Krishna tell all these nice things to the villain? He told it to all these things. He said to the hero, the good guy, and if he had told all these things to the villain. The duryodhana it might have prevented a terrible war but you know he actually tried krishna to his credit he tried and it was of no use no use duryodhana wouldn't have come to the vedanta class <laughs> why not when krishna tried to tell him these things you know what was the reaction krishna tried to tell him that this what you're doing is wrong this is not dharma this is adharma And uh, Duryodhana said, Janami Dharmam. Don't tell me what is right and wrong. Because I know what is right and wrong. That's not my problem. My problem is, what is right, I don't feel like doing it. And what is wrong, I can't stop myself from doing it. Why not? Why ever not? If you know it's wrong, why don't you stop yourself? If you know it's right, why don't you do it? Because he says, there is a force within me the way it drives me, I, I've, I move in that way I can't help it Honest! Honest! That is a deep human problem And I'll tell you what's wrong with Duryodhana's analysis, I'll tell you next But first notice the honesty of the person It's, it's everybody's problem If it were not, we would all be sthita pragya Established in the Divine It would, would, wouldn't take, much, take us much, uh, much time at all A few weeks, few months The worst case would take one year or so <laughs> we will all become enlightened uh, janami dharmam nachame pravritti i know the dharma but i have no pravritti no i don't feel like doing it that impulse is not there In, i'm not inspired to do it janami adharmam nach, uh, nachame uh, name nivritti i have i know what is adharma what is bad and immoral and i I'm no, what i'm doing is taking me down a terrible path but i can't stop myself from doing it Kenapi smita By some force within What is that force within? Samskaras <coughs> Freud discovered it <laughs> In the early part of 20th century and This city was the, the hotbed of, uh, of Freudian psychoanalysis Samskaras condi- Subconscious con- conditioning that that really controls us. We think we are rational, uh, and our ra- rationality controls our behavior. And no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Most of our thought, our feelings, our emotions, our decisions, and behavior are controlled by irrational forces, just with a little cream froth of rationality on top. You have a question? Uh, hold on to the question. I'll come to you. I mentioned this earlier, the three great humiliations of humanity have I mentioned this earlier? Freud it seems he said, humanity has been uh, has been humiliated thrice first, when Copernicus said we are not the center of the universe (laughs) at that time the sun is the center of the universe and we are little like a little world whirling around the, the Copernican revolution we are not the center of the universe, we are and now we know more and more as in 20th century and now 21st century we know how tiny and insignificant we are in a vast and uncaring cosmos. First great humiliation but we felt okay but we are not um, um, center of the universe but at least we are made in the image of God man is made in the image of God and woman from the rib of man (laughs) but at least we are divine, divine origination and then Darwin comes along. Not image of a God, you're made in the image of a chimp. <laughs> Evolution proves that. The second great humiliation. Freud is saying this, Sigmund Freud. The second great humiliation of humanity, that you're not descended from God, if you are evolved from monkeys. Then the third Freud said, then I dealt the third great blow to human pride. We thought, all right, we are animals, but we are rational animals. The definition of human beings, a rational animal, Time from the time of the Greeks, rational animal. We are guided by logic and reason, seems to be reasonable. Freud said, no, that logic and reason is only the surface. Underneath there is a seething mass of, of instinctive drives, lust and anger and envy and jealousy. and The primal urges which the frail ego is trying to balance the superego, what the society says you should be like this and the Eid from within which says I want this, I want that, I, want, I hate that I want to kill that guy in between is the is tiny fragile layer of the ego the Freudian structure the triadic structure, superego underneath the Eid and in between the balancing act done by the ego what we feel ourselves to be conscious ego Trying to balance the demands of society for, for, mo- for being moral f- with the primal urges bubbling up from within. And our decisions, our so-called logic is heavily influenced by these irrational drives. You're not a rational animal, just an animal. Freud said. <laughs> that is what the yogis knew thousands of years ago. This is this power within us which is driving me along and I can't resist it. So don't talk to me about what is right and wrong. So what is wrong in this, this approach? What's wrong is this? If this is true then what's the point of any, any attempt at changing? What is the point of any spiritual life, any meditation, or even even a self-help seminar, huh? uh, Tony Tony Robbins? What's the point? You can't if you cannot change. But you can change. That's the great thing. People do change, and we have the possibility of changing. We know that we have the possibility of changing, and we do want to change. But there is we need a way, a training, a methodology, a path, and those are the yogas. Our point is not fixed that I, I love um, video games and I should be studying I don't love studying and this is my di- dilemma but you are not fixed there forever you can actually educate the mind and the heart and the senses this is what yoga is all about so that it is transformed our urges are transformed and ultimately we come to a point where like you loved video games You actually love your studies. You might think that's a tall order. It's not. Aren't there many, many people who do love their studies? I often say, some students used to come and say to me that this subject is so boring. Remember, it's boring to me. It's not the fault of the subject. It's the fault of my mind. Aren't there people who love that subject? They really love that subject. The complaint usually used to be about Sanskrit grammar. It's boring. But it's boring to you. It's not boring to the Sanskrit Pandit who loves it more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So, the subject is intrinsically interesting. Every subject is. Otherwise, it couldn't have developed. The people who have given their whole lives to it. Darwin, I was reading. People get bored with all the taxonomy and the uh, of, uh, you know, classification of species and all of that. Darwin was crazy about it. He loved as a child. I mean, how can you deny samskaras? This is a stunning story of Darwin going out into the little woods near his house in England and collecting beetles. There are different kinds of beetles. And he had a whole collection as a child. He must have done things like that in his past life. Otherwise, why as a child would you? Children collect it? but that craze is there. And there's a story of how the little kid, has caught one beetle in one hand. Another beetle in another hand and this a third rare beetle crawling along a leaf if he, if he goes back to his house and puts those beetles in the, the little bottles and comes back for this one, it would have flown away. What does he do? He quickly puts one beetle in his mouth. <laughs> catches hold of the other and then races back to his room to put all three in the three, three different bottles and classify them. Now what do you mean about what do you say? The biology is boring? Here is this little kid. Who is more crazy about collecting and classifying beetles than you are about playing your video game. So it's not a problem with the subject. It's the conditioning of the mind and therefore we can change. Swami Vivekananda said to develop the powers of attachment and detachment perfectly. It can be done. I've heard the story about um, so there's one Swami, Swami Nirvedananda, one of the pioneers in the Ramakrishna order uh, in, in the field of education in the 1920s, 30s. And those who are from Calcutta, you know the Belgoria students' home, those who have. Uh, yeah, no. So it's the first, one of the first educational institutes of the Ramakrishna order. He founded it. Now the story goes that it was 1939 and the Second World War had started. And, in those, and so the Swami was fascinated. Then The radio, the BBC news would be there From the radio, he would listen to it And he would have this map in front of him A map of Europe And with a pencil he would trace Where the German armies are advancing Where the allied armies are advancing And somebody said, Swami, how do you meditate? You are spending all your time on, on this And Swami looked very surprised And he said to that person But I don't think about the war when I am meditating And I don't think about meditation when I am thinking about the war There is a big truth there It's not so easy to do, he could do it probably, but it's not so easy to do, but there is a big truth there. When we are doing this, playing video games, I should be studying, I should be studying. Studying, I wish I could play a little more video games. We can't control our attachments and detachments. Swami Vivekananda used to say, empty the bucket, empty the bucket. I read about Napoleon. He said, it seems he could do many things at the same time. He could dictate to seven secretaries. Some he's dictating uh, uh, orders for the war. Another for construction of bridges in Paris. Another to a letter to the, uh, the Empress Josephine to his wife. And so on. Seven secretaries. They're all busy writing. He's dictating across seven. How is that possible? The tremendous control over the mental faculties. And he, I think he, he's the one who wrote that. They are the, I've got cabinets in my mind. And so, right? He, he's the one who said. I open when I want to know the finances, I open that cabinet, I shut the others. When I want to know the, the war situation, I open that one and shut the others. And when I want to sleep, I shut all the he had the capacity to go to sleep at any time. Many will say I also have that capacity. <laughs> <laughs> if you have your blessed. <laughs> but he said when I But at will, when I fo- when I shut all the cabinets in the mind I fall asleep. He could it seems he could sleep on his war horse. <laughs> So, yes, what was the question? talking about Dharma and Adharma. Yes. The question is regarding Karna. Yes. Karna was supposed to be somebody who really upheld Dharma all the time. Hmm. But when it came to the disrobing of Draupadi, Hmm. at that time, even he put his head down, he did not oppose the Kauravas. So, how do you explain that? Here is somebody who was considered one I mean, after Yudhishthira hmm. he was considered a person upholding karma, so. yes and no when karma, Karna finally died in the mythology you will see when, when he finally was killed and uh, he said this is unfair my chariot is stuck in the mud and you are going to um, kill me now I think it is Krishna who gives a long uh, explanation or or he points out where all Kar- Karna had uh, done wrong things. See, you mentioned one. Clearly there is something wrong going on and I am in a situation where I can oppose it and say something. When I do not do so, it's a failure of courage. It's a lack of uprightness there. So Karna is a Tragic figure no doubt and many people identify and sympathize. If not identify sympathize with him. True the figure is drawn in that way but there are fatal flaws in that figure also. Hmm. So that, is that also because of Samskar? Samskar is yes. Here is one thing to remember. These two words please remember. swarupa and Swabhava. Very important to remember. swarupa and Swabhava. Literally in, in uh, if you translate swarupa means our real nature. What is our real nature? Atman. Existence, consciousness, place. Or in a theistic sense, nothing other than the divine within us. That is Swarupa. Whose nature? Mine and yours and, and Sri Ramakrishna's and Krishna's and Arjuna's. All of them. We have all have the same Swarupa, at least according to Advaita Vedanta. We are all one with God. Our nature is is Brahman. Aham Brahmasmi. That's Swarupa. Our real nature. That's what we are trying to understand. And we right now we feel I am this body-mind. This body, mind, sensory complex, but we are not this. But there is another very important word to learn. Swabhava. How will I translate that? Again, that word bhava is there. Oh. Dispositions. The set of this, our character, basically. This Swabhava is not our real self, but it is the way our mind has been conditioned over lifetimes. That's what makes us different That's what makes us different In Swarupa, real nature We are all one We are all divine Right now And we always were But the good and the bad Swabhava The greedy and the self-controlled Swabhava Where does this Swabhava come from? You see where does the Swarupa come from? It's original It's it's not created Swabhava It comes from It's called Prachina Karma Samskaraha The accumulated karma, the conditioning of many lives, that is Swabhava. So what we come with into our lives. Swami Vivekananda says, that, like the poet, I think Wordsworth said, We come trailing clouds of glory into this life. And Swamiji said some of us come trailing black black smoke. But it's a mixture, our Swabhava is a mixture of many lifetimes. So what we are struggling with right now, I love to play video games, I don't love to study. Swabhava, not Swarupa. So what we are struggling against, what we are trying to polish, what we are trying to change and motivate, that is Swabhava. The tendencies within, and they are all in the mind. Remember, essentially we are one with God, pure and perfect, always. So nobody deep within is a sinner. So is the doctrine of the sinner? Is it wrong? It's not wrong. It's the conditioning in the mind. So the, unfortunately, what is manifested in life and in actions is the swabhava. So we need to. Swami so Vivekananda said, "You need to polish the mirror. You need to polish the mirror." Just hold the question. I'll, I'll, let, hold the question. Let me just finish this part. So swabhava and swarupa. Remember this. What is the difference between Arjuna and Duryodhana? Swabhava and Swarupa. Swarupa is same for Arjuna and Duryodhana and Krishna. All of them are the same Swarupa. They are all one with God. But Swabhava Arjuna is the hero, and Swabhava Duryodhana is the villain. This Swabhava, the hope is, it is subject to change. It is changing slowly. If we consciously try to change it, it will change. We can change it. All these spiritual practices are consciously trying to change. The Swabhava. So when Elon Musk says don't do anything if it requires required to be motivated. What he really means is not that you give up all your high aspirations. You just recognize the power which is working within. I require to be motivated because right now my Swabhava is not oriented towards the things which I want. I need to orient it. And I can do it. That's why these warnings are there. That uh, be careful about the Swabhava. You have these high goals. But the sensory system and the mind, they will sweep you away. Because their swabhava is, is, the conditioning is like that. It can be changed over time. Yes. Uh, Swamiji, would you consider Bhishma Pitamaha to be an enlightened soul? I think so, yes. And if so, why did he fight on the side of the car? Uh, difficult to say. <laughs> 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 One word, life. Difficult to say. There is no doubt he was a great person. There is no doubt. He took a decision because he thought he was being moral, right? He had given his word to protect the lineage of the Kauravas. So, the beauty and the ter- terrible thing about the Mahabharata is that it shows that what is very neat in Vedanta, in textbooks, when it meets life, it becomes much more complicated, and yeah, gets very messy. And uh, that's what we see Not only the Mahabharata In each of our individual lives That's the very nature of life So the Mahabharata That's why uh, It's uh, The ethical questions In Mahabharata Are very sophisticated Very deep and sophisticated We'll just leave it at that Dhyayato Vishayan Pungsa So when you When you dwell too much On sense objects What happens An attachment develops A raga An attachment develops it is nice. It's nice. Uh, worth having. Then from that attachment, at this stage, remember, we think that, yeah, I'm thinking about it. I cannot think about it. But very soon you see that it, it's very difficult not to think about those things. It becomes a habit. It could be di- it's different from different people, what, what our uh, personal predilections are like. Then, sangat sanjayate kama. From this comes desire there it becomes powerful what is the nature of desire i want this, this gadget uh, this person this job this um, place uh, that experience that enjoyment that parking spot so i want this is the nature of karma i want and immediately kama krodha vijayate from desire comes anger Um, desire comes anger means parking spot best example you are that's a nice parking spot I want it and then suddenly the guy in front red light slowly backing into that spot and you become angry desire thwarted desire thwarted leads to anger desire leads to karma leads to two things karma leads to two things we can check in our lives leads to two things when it is satisfied When we indulge in it Lobhaha Greed I want more Variety Again Again Because it gives pleasure And I want it Again and again Lobha. When it's thwarted Thwarted when I know it's possible for me to get it And now This person This circumstance Is coming in my way Anger Flash of anger comes It's the same desire Which is converted into anger Karma and Krodha They go together Krishna says in the Gita, Kama Esha, Krodha Esha, Rajoguna Samudbhava, Maha Mahapapma This anger and desire, they are born of Rajoguna, Rajas. And remember, O oh Arjuna, these are voracious, they are hungry, they are like hungry ghosts. And Maha pāpma, they are productive of great sin. Watch these, keep them, uh, be alert about these two. So, Kama leads to Krodha. Always at the root of any kind of flash of anger There is some kind of desire It could be good We say righteous indignation Alright righteous indignation You know that something wrong is happening But even there there is desire Such a thing should happen It is not happening And these people are bad I am good Hence flash of anger on them They deserve my anger Usually when we are angry on people It's often that I am right They are wrong Even hatred It's okay to hate them because they are the hateful people <laughs> So they are the ones who are hating So I, I, It's okay to hate people who hate others No, anger There is anger there You know the famous uh, Buddhist teacher The one who popularized mindfulness all over the West um, Thich Nhat Hanh. I read a news article that he's dying now. He's back in Vietnam in his monastery. He's uh, about to pass away. He's passed away? No, he's about to pass. So, uh, he, when he first came to Europe in the 70s, at that time, these anti-war movement, the Greenpeace movement was in Germany. It was going on demonstrations against nuclear weapons. and so So, peace, for peace. And he writes, he's observing it as a Vietnamese monk coming to the West for the first time. He says, I was surprised at how angry these peace protesters were. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't see the contradiction. But they felt, they felt this is bad. And it's good to be angry about something bad. True. But still, there's a contradiction there. So krodha vijayate. Notice. Mahatma Gandhi, or Martin Luther King here, they uh, they fought the good fight against injustice, against (laughs) evil but they never hated the people they were fighting against. Nowhere ever you will see Mahatma Gandhi hated the British. He never did. Some of his closest friends were British. There is no hatred there it, and without hatred also you can f- uh, fight against injustice and that's, the, that's where it really becomes powerful. I am doing something wrong, you are not angry with me, you just want good for me and for others and I will sense it in you. Uh, when, when you counsel me, even scold me, we are saying who can scold, who can punish? The one who loves. Not the one who says, I am more virtuous than you, you are bad, I will punish you Then the person who is being punished, there is a reaction in the mind of that person Then what happens from, from anger? bhavati Delusion comes Confusion comes What to do and what not to do It's not only from anger actually From desire Four things come Swami Ram Sukhdas just pointed this out. From desire four things come. Lobha, greed. Greed also leads to some moha, delusion. What is dharma and what is adharma? I overstep. Because I want, I want, I want. What is my diet prescription? <laughs> my resolution. This is my going to be my diet. I overstep and open the fridge and raid the fridge and eat it. I am saying something which is Seems to be a common problem in, in the West now. So, but that's the classic example of greed overcoming uh, my resolutions. So, greed leads to some moha. Lobha leads to some moha. Krodha, anger. Anger leads to delusion also, of course. That flash of anger, then what I should not say, I say. Often, harsh words are the most difficult things to forgive people remember them for a long time. Even after the quarrel is over your harsh words are remembered. You might have forgotten what the quarrel was about, but because of the quarrel, you said harsh words to each other, those harsh words remain in the memory for decades and decades for decades together, for for a lifetime and it hurts. So anger, Uh, that also leads to delusion. Then um, then, uh, there is uh, um, lobha Krodha uh, Then there is One more um, mo- No this is some Moha, some moha is the Delusion comes out of all of these uh, Mamata Identification Mamata means mine My child, my friend My political party My uh, football or basketball, basketball team Once it's mine Partiality comes my religion, my countrymen, partiality comes. So our, our, um, our balance is disturbed because of that. Hmm. Then sammoha, so delusion. From delusion, sammohat smriti vibhrama, All the things that we had learned, All the classes and seminars and the books we have read and the verses memorized, they go out of the the window at that moment. And we react. We react from what? Not from what we have learned, all this wisdom, but from instinctive reactions, default setting. The reaction comes from there. Smithi vibrahma, loss of memory here means, not that you become an amnesiac, but loss of learning. Smritir Bhangshat Buddhi Nasha. Buddhi means viveka here. What is to be done, what is not to be done, what is right and what is wrong. I have decided the goal of life is God realization. And this is the behavior that is consistent with God realization. All of that decision becomes, uh, um, it just goes out of the window. And I react in anger uh, or in hatred. So, Buddhi Nasha. Buddhi Pranashyati. And when the decision is wrong, then falling away from spiritual life becomes uh, inevitable. One more thing is, it takes a long time to, to describe this sequence of eight steps. But it happens in a flash. That's, that's what one should remember. It happens in a flash. It doesn't matter, but um, uh, what, what matters is over time as we are spiritual practitioners, this should become less and less. Less frequent, less intense. And we should be able to come out of it faster. That's the sign of progress. So, yes. Um, My question is about Martin Luther King. You were talking about and the importance of the material world. You said that we were talking about injustice. Yes. True. So you don't have in, you know. True. If you ignore the material world completely, that can be disastrous too. But notice one thing, all of these people like Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King, you will see, they confirm to this kind of uh, austere controlled life. It's only when I'm controlled in my own life and I minimize my materiality then I can struggle for the wider causes of justice for others. When my own sensory system is uh, running amok, when I have no control over my mind, then I am a slave to this particular body-mind system. So my concern with material things will be for material things for I, me and mine. That's the problem with most people. What is the difference between one Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi and the rest of us? The most most people are so concerned and caught up with this one single body mind system this one So all the effort goes towards satisfying this thing the less we are slaves to this body mind system The more we can think about the welfare of others notice here Arjuna is literally fighting a battle on the side of righteousness against uh, what is wrong and after learning all this he still goes and he's supposed to go and fight that battle That's what Krishna is trying to persuade him to do He's not telling him to give up all concern with the battle itself. Arjuna wanted to stop and Krishna said no You can do your duty much better and Work for the welfare of others much better when one's own senses are under control own mind is under control Even emotions are under check. So, I'm Vivekananda said the, the sentimental and the emotional waste most of their energy in feeling. It's the calm level-headed person who can work, work and do great work. But which kind of calm and level-headed person? There are a lot of calm and level-headed persons and they are doing great work for themselves. It's the calm and level-headed person who has this control over the senses, who has the mastery over desires. The mind and the sensory system who can really do work for others. Notice that the truly spiritual people whom we consider to be spiritual, whom you would consider to be spiritual, you will notice that they are also strongly altruistic. They are deeply altruistic. that uh, They always put others before their own, own needs. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. It's not really a concern for material things. It's rather a concern for the welfare of others. Right? It's not really a concern about cars or food or houses It's so that the others get those cars and food and houses and uh, education It's actually a concern for human beings. It's a spiritual concern Sri Ramakrishna also said He said you can't have really a spirituality on an empty stomach In Bengali, khali pe Which is true, which is true Sometimes one may be misled into thinking The the yogi, the skinny yogi sitting in his cave in the Himalayas So that is the ideal and so all of this is not necessary Society and schools and hospitals, no no no, absolutely not Vedanta is not against this world, Vedanta shows us a much wiser way A more spiritual way of living in this world itself And when the time is uh, uh, come to go We can go absolutely freely and happily without any clinging or any any worry Does that answer? Yes Yes. Um, you might be thinking you're doing that, but you could possibly be repressing. You won't know the difference. Can True. You yes, you have to be careful because repression always has um, a side effect. You really cannot repress anything, it will come out in, its, in, in some other way. So, this uh, control of the senses is for directing these energies towards a higher goal. Uh, in this case, it's spirituality. It could be art, it could be science. Notice, there I think uh, Elon Musk has a point. If you need to be motivated, then don't do it. Uh, A scientist who is passionate about his research, an artist who is passionate about music or or painting or something, most of the other things sort of of fall away automatically. Otherwise, the person cannot achieve anything in life. If you're dedicating 8, 10, 12 hours a day to something in your life, the rest of the things automatically have to fall away. That is dispassion. That is, that is vairagya. But there you already have the motivation. There is, most of us don't have that kind of motivation for something. That, that should not dishearten us. We can move this point from loving video games to loving studies. That can be done. But um, wisely. Carefully, wisely, but consistently also. And it can be done. Others have done it and so can I. Right? True. I'll give you. It is true. It is true. Yes, it is true. Uh, I'll give you just one. um, But this is a very big subject, but very interesting subject. Just one thing I'll I'll tell you. Um, One is: Are you happy? If you suppress it consistently over a long period of time, you'll notice something. You are achieving your goals of controlling the senses, but you'll notice you're consistently unhappy. I knew this monk who, who, was, who seemed very depressed, a very good monk, young young monk, seemed very depressed. Um, so uh, he, I said, see, what is there to be depressed about? Uh, it's, it's only when I have a desire and I'm not getting satisfied, my desire is not being satisfied, then only I feel unhappy. And you know what he told me? He said, quite honestly, see, I don't have any desires. What is, what is wrong there? Repressed He said, that they said The trace is left If you look at it on paper It's perfectly alright But deep inside the subconscious mind The trace for worldly uh, pleasures is left And the result is Because it's repressed You won't see anything on the surface Life is perfectly alright But because it's repressed There's only one sign of that Depression Unhappiness It has to be worked at Now I'll give you just one way of doing it um, control of the senses does not always mean you have to go around with a sour face and look, look stressed out what are you doing controlling the senses <laughs> there is I will give you uh, this, uh, look it up there is a, a psychologist Tal Ben Shahar um, his I forgot the name of the book S-H-A-H-A-R Shahar Tal Ben-Shahar, happiness, the name of the book is happiness, now he is uh, a professor of psychology in Harvard University, or you can just google it, the most popular course in Harvard, (laughs) it's supposed to be the most popular course at least a few years back uh, in Harvard University, where a classroom, they had to shift out and uh, hire a theater, a theater for classes, hundreds of Harvard University students, undergrads took this course. One, his book is full of these very interesting insights One insight is this He gives the example of food So there is eating healthy, that's the goal, eating healthy is the goal Now there is food which is tasteless and unhealthy There is food which is very tasty but unhealthy There is food which is very healthy but tasteless There is a saying that if it's good, if it tastes good it must be bad for you (laughs) It's uh, many people think healthy food must taste bad, so uh, tasteless but very healthy and the last one is tasty and healthy And he says what is true of this food if you try to um, If you indulge in the tasty tasty food and which is unhealthy, you'll ruin your health If you try to hold on to these multiple diets and be healthy You can succeed if you have a lot of willpower, but you're likely to fail again and again and you are, even if you succeed you are likely to go around with a sour face what are you doing? I am eating healthy <laughs> but this he is a wise course is to do something when you are practicing something enjoy that practice so eat food which is, which is healthy and tasty and he says dietitians know it, doctors know it there, there are many such foods which you think it, you will not like it but you start eating it you will like it they are really tasty and you can this is something that you can hold on to It's a diet you can hold on to now He says this is about food But this is true of everything in life So all the practices that we do Keep a component of happiness involved there It should not be a, a miserable thing Our um, president of our order Swami Smarananji He said something which really appealed to me He says the goal is bliss The means too must be bliss The means too must be blissful when you are a sadhu, when you are a spiritual seeker, when you are a yogi, should be happy. Not a forced smiley face, but genuinely happy. And we have seen that. The good monks are usually the ones who are happy. St. Teresa of Avila, she said, a sad nun is a bad nun. <laughs> Alright, we'll end with this. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Rama Krishna Rupa Namastu.